0: Live,
1: online and on your mobile. This, this
0: is DCUFM News.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kiro Laughlin and I'm joined today by Dara Brown, Anya O'Boyle and Eva O'Brien. On today's show we'll be talking about the blasphemy referma- referendum, the new pir- pirate radio and the Ryanair racism incident. We'll also be giving a rundown on two of the presidential candidates, Michael D. Higgins and Joan Freeman. But first we have our hourly
2: news bulletin. Good evening, it's 6 o'clock and I'm Dara Brown. Over 90,000 false and illegal prescription medicines have been seized during an operation by authorities in Ireland this month. The medicines are valued at over 375,000 euro. They include large quantities of anabolic steroids, sedatives and painkillers. The operation involved the Health Products Regulatory Authority, the Revenues Customs Service and the Gardaí. Presidential candidate Sean Gallagher has said that he will take part in the Virgin Media presidential debate on Wednesday. Gallagher previously said that he would not take any part in any debate that did not feature all candidates. Turkish president has accused the Saudi officials of premeditated murder. Officials began investigating when dissenting journalist Jamal Khashoggi visited the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, but never left. Khashoggi was a strong critic of the Prince Mohammed bin Salman and when he went missing, the authorities immediately suspected the worst. And finally, staying in often now that the longer nights have creeped in, why not check out one of these films that are airing tonight? Crocodile Dundee on E4 at 8pm, Final Destination on Comedy Central at 9pm, and Kingsman The Secret Service on Film 4 at 9pm. That's all your news for now, time for the weather. weather. The weather tonight will be dry overnight. There will be some clear spells, but it will be cloudy with patchy mist or fog. Lows of 5 to 7 degrees Celsius in light to moderate westerly breezes. That's all for now. Remember you can keep up to date on Facebook and on Twitter at DCUFM News.
3: On Friday, October 26th, the country will vote on the blasphemy referendum to decide if the Irish Constitution should continue to say that publishing or saying something blasphemous is a criminal offence. Blasphemy is defined under the 2009 Defamation Act as publishing or saying something that is grossly abusive or insulting in relation to matters held sacred by any religion, with intent to cause outrage among a substantial number of people. Article 40.6.1 of the Constitution says the publication or utterance of blasphemous, seditious or indecent matter is an offence which shall be punishable in accordance with the law. This means that while citizens have the right to freely express their convictions and opinions, there are certain restrictions on this right, one of which is that blasphemous content cannot be published. If convicted of this offence, a person may be fined up to €25,000. The proposal for the upcoming referendum is to remove the word blasphemous from the Constitution. If you vote yes, blasphemy will no longer be a criminal offence. If you vote no, the Constitution will remain unchanged. Currently, there are 71 countries globally who have a law on blasphemy. In in a 2017 US Commission on International Religious Freedoms report, which analysed the extent to which blasphemy laws are in conflict with international human rights law, Ireland was found to be the least restrictive. The five countries deemed to practise the grossest violations of international standards were all Muslim-majority lands. Iran and Pakistan ranked highest, where in both countries blasphemers can face death. No one has ever been prosecuted for blasphemy in Ireland and there's currently a lot of confusion over what prosecution for this offence would mean. With a lack of coverage on the referendum apparent, I spoke to Father Seamus McEntee, chaplain in DCU's Interfaith Centre, to get his views on the upcoming referendum. There is a referendum coming up to abolish the blasphemy from the Constitution. Do you think this is necessary? Um, Personally, no, I don't. I don't really think it's necessary. Uh, I never knew or
4: heard of, up until now, it ever being really mentioned in the general sphere of things or in, within general public conversation. I've never... its No one's ever approached me and asked me up until now uh, what my opinion was of, on it. Um, I don't think it's been an issue. I don't think it's been a problem uh, in our country uh, and, and I don't see the need to, to re- repeal it, to take it out of that wording or that word out of the constitution. My issue probably would be, particularly, um, taking something out of the constitution and not having a road map or a pathway as to what it, what, what is, it, it, what is going to replace it. Um, and so, personally, I don't, I don't think a lot of people know much about it. I think there's a lot of ignorance around it. I think it's a lot of costing a lot of money. I don't know where that, the idea came from, uh, through the courts or something I've heard, but um, I don't think it's what people have asked for, and I don't see a need to, to take it out of the Constitution.
3: Why then do you think did the Oireachtas propose the
2: idea?
4: There you, I don't know. I uh, it, it seems to be a, a strong word that people seem to feel that removing it would give more freedom of speech to people, um, maybe media, quiet. But really I, I, I'm not quite clear. I haven't read enough about it. I haven't studied enough about it. It's not high on my list of priorities or thing, things to look at, even though it's coming up in uh, the referendum, um, uh, as is the election. And I'm not over enthused about the presidential elections or the candidates or the referendum.
3: Do you think is there any danger to removing it from the
4: Constitution? The fact that I don't see any reason, clear reason, so far, I haven't studied it enough, I will in the next week, I haven't, I haven't seen enough reason to remove it, therefore I don't see why I should vote to remove it. Blasphemy is, is you could say, a sin or a crime against the God that somebody believes in, is my understanding. And, and I would therefore hold, you know, we shouldn't purposefully go out. We should respect faiths and beliefs and the belief in the God that people hold true. Uh, even though the God that I believe in may be different than the God that you believe in or somebody else believes in. Uh, if it's a core belief that I believe in one type of God or you believe in another type of God, that's okay. But I, I wouldn't advocate to go on and purposefully attack your belief in God. That to me is 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 not good and so therefore i i would say you know let's hold that true and let's have some kind of rules or guidelines to to protect people from from saying that that's so it's okay to have a freedom of speech but um not hate speech that incites hatred against uh, someone's faith or belief Uh, and so i would say until we can come up with a better option or alternative I would say let's leave it and let's talk about it more. It's happening to me far too quick, and I know so many people don't know a lot about it. They haven't heard a lot about it. There needs to be a greater debate around it. It seems to be rushed through. There was the last two or three referendums we had, there was six months a year out, and debates and discussions were happening, and I think it's all happening far too quick for me, and so I I wouldn't be... Personally, I'd be... If I vote at all I'd probably vote no. I do you think it's been it.
3: underreported on?
4: That's yeah, 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 really do. I I I I, I probably be underreported on because it's not uh, it's not high on people's priorities. People are not enthused about it. People don't probably care that much about it. Um, and that includes the media. And so if the media talk about it more and the areas around it, not just the issue of removing something from the constitution but why it was put in there in the first place why then do we need to change it or why do we need to and talk about you know freedom of religion talk about a pluralist society let's talk about faith let's talk about religion but i think people are afraid to talk about faith and religion maybe they're not that interested in it or those who set the agendas agendas of discussions uh, to talk about faith and religion don't want to do it because maybe they're not interested in it themselves but they need to be interested in it to talk about it we're not going to talk about something we're not interested in or that that doesn't affect change in our lives if it doesn't affect a big change in our lives it's not going to gain momentum or traction therefore people are not going to talk about it but um and so therefore until that happens i i might be saying um you know, leave the status quo as it is. I don't know why the government are so intent on spending the, the taxpayers' money on this um, when it's obviously blatantly clear that so many people don't really know what it's about or what they're voting for or against. So I would say that.
3: Newswire reporter Robbie Walsh asked students on DCU's Glasnevin campus what they think about the blasphemy referendum.
5: Hello, I'm Robbie Walsh and I'm reporting for Newswire on the blasphemy referendum that is being held on the 26th of October this year. Did you know that
6: there was a blasphemy referendum being held? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. I read about it on Twitter. Yes, I think I heard about it on the journal or
7: something. Um, I heard it on the radio.
6: Do you think that there's enough media coverage on this
8: referendum? Uh, There's not as much as there was for previous referendums, but I've seen a bit online of people trying to promote it because there's been a lack of promotion for it.
0: I don't know, because I think certain things shouldn't be overstated. There's some other important referendums happening as well, Um, and of course the presidential election, so it's tough.
5: I definitely think it's less important, it's definitely the lesser of the two
1: two votes that will be happening, because obviously the first one is the presidential election. But, um, no, I think, like, obviously I knew about it, and I wouldn't be one to, like, pick up a newspaper every day and and make sure I'm up to date, so the fact that I knew about it um, means that it is fairly out there.
7: I don't know. Probably not really, because a lot of people don't know about it. It it doesn't seem like it's talked about very much just in the general discourse of conversation. Um, Like, my mum only found out about it, like, last week, so, yeah, so... I would say not. I think you're only going to know about it if you're someone who regularly reads the news, or... Yeah, so I would say no.
1: Definitely not, because I'm always, like, on my phone, so... And I don't know about it, you know? No way, not at all, because I only heard about it, like, through word of mouth, so I didn't
9: really see it or hear it on any social media. Um, no, because I don't think anyone really knows anything about it. Okay, mate. Okay, I'm speaking from personal experience. I don't really know anything about it, and... You, like with previous referendums, there's been so much coverage that you, you're you filled in without even needing to do any research,
4: but with this, you don't really know much. What are your opinions on the blasphemy referendum?
7: Um, I definitely think blasphemy should be taken out of the constitution. I think much like a lot of the stuff in the constitution, it's very outdated and it applies
5: to an Ireland that doesn't exist anymore.
8: I think it's ridiculous that we've such an outdated law still in place and still like you're still be uh, still able to be punished for it. Um, it's twenty eighteen, like you know yourself. It's a difficult subject. Uh, to be
0: honest, as a non-religious person myself, I think you still have to very much respect all cultures and all people. And if it's offensive to certain people, I, I don't think it should
10: be a goer really. What is your opinion on blasphemy in general? Um, I think it's a very outdated law. I get why it was put in at the time. Um, um,
7: but I don't think it's something that should be legally enforced today, especially with the whole freedom of the press thing. Like, as a journalism student, you know, I'm very much into freedom of the press, freedom of speech, everything. And I think it does impinge on that. So, yeah, I would very much be for
10: it being abolished.
9: Everyone does it. And <laughs> I don't... Live and let live. I don't know. I don't think you should insult anyone's like beliefs or religion or anything like that but i don't think it's against the law it uh, yeah i don't think well it don't think it should be yeah i don't know like i think if you were being like really rude it, it's hard to define what blasphemy is if i say oh. jesus christ like i shouldn't get locked up for that but if i like attack someone's religion and attack their beliefs then that's not a
1: We're going to take a short ad break now, and afterwards, Dara Brown is going to be reporting on Pirate Radio's 30th
2: anniversary in Ireland. October 3rd marked 30 years since Pirate Radio in Ireland ended. Broadcast historian Eddie Bohan says that 1,094 Pirate Radio stations were set up around Dublin between 1960 and 1990. I spoke to Dr. Mark O'Brien, a senior lecturer with interest in journalism history and David Meehan, the head of Special Collections and Archives in the O'Reilly Library. So
11: up until the late 1970s, there was only one radio station in Ireland, that was Radio Ayrn or uh, Radio 1. They didn't really play an awful lot of pop music, so they had a lot of sponsored shows, and it was a bit staid and a bit stale. So uh, all around the country, what was happening was people were setting up their own Radio stations. So, in every town, in every village around Ireland, they had their own pirate radio uh, station that played pop music, Uh, or or people listened into Radio Luxembourg. But generally, people listened to pirate radio stations that were set up all around the country. And they were set up by people, a very new generation that was coming on stream. Uh, Ireland had changed rapidly in the 1960s, free trade, there was an economic boom, and free education had been introduced in 1968. So by the time the mid 70s came around there was a new generation emerging from secondary school, college a very different generation to what went before very educated and they were a bit dismayed at the Ireland that they found and that very much fed into creating an alternative culture and part of that alternative culture was pirate radio and so people started uh, playing pop music what they refer to as pop music there uh, and uh, so it was a very kind of a youth culture orientated uh, endeavour. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled that this material has come to DCU, uh, the material is a huge collection of flyers, pamphlets, magazines, uh, radio records, transmitters, uh, and the, it's been donated by uh, a broadcast historian by the name of Eddie Bowen, and he has spent nearly 35 years collecting all of this material, and it's material relating to pirate radio stations, not just in Dublin, but from all around the country so it's a really really unique collection we're delighted to get it Um, there's nothing else like it in the country it's the you know the state's primary uh, archive relating to pirate radio stations, uh, all of which were illegal, of course, uh, and they would have been playing a cat-and-mouse game with the Department of Posts and Telegraphs, which would be raiding these stations and closing them down. So it's a huge resource and a huge collection of all this material. It's really rich in terms of research value. We're delighted to get it. Uh, It's generated a huge amount of publicity uh, right around the country. Uh, The university has been getting telephone calls from people in Cork and Limerick asking about the archive, when is it available can they come and see it, so people have a huge um, nostalgia and fondness for this era of pirate radio which was there in the 70s and 80s, people remember it very well, they remember it very fondly Um, so it's going to play into uh, research here at DCU um, anybody will be able to access it in due course once it's catalogued and made available uh, but it, it's going to be a huge resource for research uh, for media, histor- mis- media historians um, and, and, that, and researchers generally so we're, we're actually thrilled that, it, that it's come here to DCU so, as I would see uh, the part radio uh, interaction with
8: DCU, there's the exhibition that we have upstairs which runs for the month of August. It'll be going to other parts of Ireland, because basically it's, it, uh, it commemorates the 30th anniversary of the 1988 legislation on, on independent radio, um, and that will be coming to its, its end sometime around Easter next year, Easter 2019. Um, at some point around then, we're going to uh, ha- have um, deposited in the library the, the Uh, uh, Irish Power Video Archive, uh, and we're hoping also um, kind of associated uh, uh, audio uh, materials. And then we basically have to have an archivist whose uh, job is to kind of pull together, uh, put this into some kind of order and make it presentable for researchers, and then at a certain point in the future we'll be making our collections available to researchers. We're also hoping that um, this collection will act uh, in some way as a kind of a magnet uh, for other things to do with Irish uh, and radio, and that in a sense we become the the, the focal point for for Irish Irish radio archives, but also possibly for radio and, and broadcasting in a broader sense. We do have, we have a, a lot of ambitions for our collections, and we're hoping that we'll uh, be of major interest to uh, researchers here in DCU and also in, in the country and internationally. Uh, it's a it's a kind of wide wide ranging uh, multimedia collection, if you like. It has uh, documentation, posters. Rate cards with advertising rates for uh, pirate radio itself. Uh, there are some uh, audio files, photographs, and uh, there's actually be if you like an, uh, an oral history of pirate radio being um, developed as well in the, in, the, in the coming months. So it's quite a wide ranging collection of materials. And um, the the exhibition that we have upstairs and the ground floor uh, covers pirate radio from about. 1916, which is like the kick-off point, the first uh, transmission that we might call a pirate radio transmission, uh, on the actual time of the rebellion, right through until uh, 1988 when the legislation was passed to render pirate radio formally illegal and to uh, introduce the independent uh, radio sector. So, but there's a particular concentration on the heyday of pirate radio, which would have been the 1970s, the 1980s, uh, when there was a proliferation of, of pirate radio stations all over Ireland, um, with, a lot of, in fact, a lot of the, uh, the, the the famous names in radio cut their teeth, uh, even started out uh, in pirate radios, and people like Brian Dobson, uh, Dave Fanning, and people like that, and also some uh, quite well-known uh, other people, Irish lights. So the, the writer Pat McCabe uh, uh, run, ran the pirate station for for a while, and uh, there's a particularly interesting, interesting exhibit of Pat McCabe's up there. There's a little kind of a transmitter in a, in a biscuit uh, tin that was uh, the the transmitter for Pat McCabe's radio body, uh, which was a kind of a touring pirate. It would tour around Ireland in in a, in a caravan. Now, what, what we have at the moment in, in our special collections, is a very, very strong concentration of um, materials relating to media. It tends to be print, it tends to be related to people in journalism, say for example um, um, Frank MacDonald, Mary Kenny uh, and also some kind of um, uh, television media, some Mary Rafty for instance. We also have materials, for, photography materials the, from the Press Photographers Association of Ireland, but what the Radio archives going to do, is going to add a whole new dimension to our, our kind of if you like print and photograph based collections uh, to like reality, uh, things like the real life materials, such as the things I was saying earlier, the the, the, the posters, the, the little kind of uh, kind of handouts and the, the, the rate cards, that kind of a thing. So if you like, it's it's um, it's almost like capturing some of the, the, the real life of of the activity of of uh, if you like uh, kind of of minor institutions, as opposed to, say, the collections of uh, the, the writings, the papers of uh, journalists and that kind of thing. I think it's going to be particularly particular interest to, 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 to students because, if you like the way media is changing, um, we're talking about, like, in uh, part radio, uh, we're talking very much about, like, uh, analogue technology, um, a kind of a medium that, uh, well, I'm not going to say that it, it resides in a time in the past because, like, there's still a certain amount of going uh, kind to of independent uh, radio being broadcast, and... Uh, a lot of analog as well. Um, for instance, talk about turning off the, uh, the analog transmission and, and going through, uh, basically through the internet. Um, but uh, hopefully it's also going to be a case for, um, you know, for like analog and part radio. It's a really, really good example of extensive use of a very, very kind of, like, democratic medium uh, that, that can get to everybody's house, if you like. So I think it's going to be interesting to people who are interested in the history of... of Media transmission, but also in the, in the history of, of broadcasting generally, uh, it's always very interesting to see where, where people came from. There's some very very humble beginnings, and where you can go from from a very early stage in your career to being, if you like, a, a national figure in, in Irish media, television, and and, uh, and radio. So I think it's also going to be, um, um, I think, of interest, like, from a biographical point of view, but also from a you know technical meeting point of view.
1: Okay. So last Friday night on a Ryanair flight from Barcelona to Stansted Airport, a black woman was the victim of a racist rampage from another passenger. The woman was called Delcy Gale and she's a retired care assistant who is travelling with her daughter. A video was posted online by another passenger on the flight called David Lawrence and he made the decision to post this online to exhibit the behaviour of this particular passenger as he hurled racist abuse at Delcie. Delcie was on holidays with her 53-year-old daughter in an effort to cheer herself up on the anniversary of her husband's death on one year previous. The incident occurred because Delcy, who suffers from arthritis, took a long time to get out of her seat and to allow the man to get into his window seat. The man was shouting abuse at Delcy and asking her to move seats while the daughter asks the man to stand up and explains that her mother is disabled. The man is heard in the footage calling Delcy racist insults. When she attempts to respond to him he shouts at her to not talk to him in a foreign language. This incident occurred before the plane took off and Delcy ended up moving seats for the duration of the flight while the man was allowed to remain in his seat. Other passengers did not intervene in the incident and according to Delcy this was because she was black and they didn't want to get involved with her. When David Lawrence, who who took the video, was questioned for making the decision to record the incident rather than intervening in it and trying to help, he said he'd done so because it's important for the public to know that these incidents are taking place. Delcy spoke to ITV News explaining that the incident made her feel very low. She couldn't understand why he would abuse her for the colour of her skin and she said she had paid for her holiday and he had paid for his. He got away with it, and Delcy worries that he will do it to someone else. Since the, flight since the flight, Delcy has not been contacted in any way by Ryanair, but they tweeted on Sunday saying that they reported the matter to the Essex police, and since then the matters have been passed on to the Spanish police. According to UK Transport Minister Carl Turner, there may be no charges brought against the abusive passenger due to Ryanair's failure to immediately remove the man from the flight, and pass him over to Spanish authorities.
10: Don't talk to me in a fucking foreign life, you give it that out. stop. And I will carry on.
11: There's no
10: time with this ugly, blaster, bastard. Mr. your voice down. Stop. There's no need for that at all. Just stop. It's really easy to stop.
1: That was a clip taken there on the Ryanair flight. We're going to take a quick ad break now and afterwards I'm going to be talking about Joan Freeman and Michael D's presidential campaigns and we're going to be discussing the blasphemy referendum taking place this Friday. Joan Freeman was the founder and former CEO of mental health charity Pieta House. She was nominated to the Shannon by former Taoiseach Enda Kenny in 2016. There she is chairperson on the Committee on Mental Health. In 2016, she made headlines for donating to the, the entirety of her 65,000 euro senator's salary to the organisation she founded. However, Freeman's family connections have become the subject of cutting Twitter riots. Her sister and former RTE presenter Theresa Lowe and her niece Maria Steen, who is a spokeswoman for the Iona Institute, were heavily heavily involved in the Save the Eighth campaign. Freeman said that she too voted no on the referendum on the Eighth Amendment. However, she would be happy as president to sign the People's Vote into law. Freeman's lack of knowledge in the Irish language did not go unnoticed at her first address as presidential nominee. Upon being asked a question of Squailga, she admitted that she couldn't answer due to her upbringing in the United Kingdom. It is not a prerequisite for the president to speak our nation's native tongue. However, there remains a strong nationalist element in Ireland, with most people saying that the president should be able to speak the Irish language. Joan Freeman, along with Peter Casey, Gavin Duffy and Leonie Riada, attended the first debate of the campaign in RTÉ Radio 1. Michael D. Higgins was absent due to diary commitments, and Sean Gallagher refused to attend in the president's absence. Peter Casey said that this was a lame excuse for missing the presidential debate. Michael D. Higgins, the current President of Ireland, is looking to be elected for another seven-year term. He is a politician, poet, sociologist and broadcaster. He served as a chocked dala for the Galway West constituency and was Minister for Arts, Culture and the Gaeltacht from 1993 to 1997. He was elected as President in November 2011. Last week, Michael D. Higgins discussed the presidential election on Dublin's Grafton Street.
10: As we enter the campaign now, what I think is very interesting about it is that the concentration of the public is moving very much on who do we want to speak for Ireland at home and abroad. I think that... I've been as we say in Irish and there are things I've had to do as president and I really welcome this opportunity of being able to be out in what would have been my traditional canvasing. But no, I uh, your question about that, about seven years. I I think of when I walked down Drafton Street seven years ago, I had somebody at the very end ask me, um, a a visiting orthopedic surgeon was interviewed by somebody on radio to say, do you think he has seven years in his knee? In fact, actually, I, mean, I think this, I'm in much better shape now uh, than I was seven years ago. And I don't think you can really do it in terms of time. When I I uh, originally, uh, I remember just even after the election in 2011, the questions were put to me, I said maybe seven years will be enough. And what I meant very de- de- definitely that time was, even though I had the experience of being a... Politician and a TD and a senator and a minister and all the rest, but I still didn't know what the presidency would require. And I have been able to really use all of the experience, but also all of the work I was doing as an academic very much in the presidency. And I've enjoyed it and I actually. Uh, really had I think from about the end of two thousand and sixteen, particularly, a number of people at different places I was were saying to me, "Why don't you continue?" I thought about it, and I believe it was the, the, the best decision. But I do wish uh, all of the candidates well, and I. And I hope you know that we're able to really just offer people choice into uh, what version of Ireland and what version of the representation of Ireland people want for the next seven years. I'm enthusiastic to do, Mrs. Sabina Whitman.
1: On Newswire we have decided to add a discussion element to the show. This week, with the upcoming referendum, we are going to discuss blasphemy and whether it should be taken out of the Irish Constitution. Today I'm joined by Aoife, Anya, and Dara. So, Eva, you've you've done a little bit on this. Um what is what is the overall consensus of the Irish population, do you think?
3: In general, people are very ill-informed on the referendum. Um, many of those in favour of the removal of blasphemy from the constitution. Use the argument that people should not be imprisoned for expressing their beliefs. Okay. However, no one has ever been prosecuted in Ireland for blasphemy, and if they were, the largest penalty that they could receive is a fine of twenty-five thousand euro. Now,
1: twenty-five thousand—that's a lot, isn't it?
3: It is a lot, but no one has I ever think been going fined very anything. Prison. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side of it, then, those who would like to keep it there are worried about hate speech but there is currently an act in the constitution called the prohibition of incitement to hatred act of 1989 where an attack um on religion that may have may amount to an offence under this act and while the act does not refer to blasphemy it says that an offense to to engage in certain words and acts intend to likely in all circumstances stir up hatred and hatred in the definition of that act includes hatred against groups or persons within the state or elsewhere on account of various aspects including religion so even with the removal of blasphemy from the constitution there is still legislation in place to protect religious groups from hate speech.
1: Okay, so taking blasphemy out of the constitution wouldn't necessarily put, you know, certain religious groups at risk.
3: Not necessarily, no.
1: Because I think uh, what a lot of people, a lot of people were worried about and were scared of was, um, especially Muslims can be targeted, especially in countries like Ireland where um, they are a minority. But you're saying that blasphemy, there is still legislation keep them safe
3: yes and in terms of blasphemy laws the top five countries who have blasphemy laws that are really in contradiction to international human rights laws are all muslim majority countries and in those countries particularly in iraq and pakistan the penalty for blasphemy is death so i mean if you take that into account then that is obviously a much bigger violation.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so as you were saying, I suppose, that the general consensus that I have felt um, anyway towards this referendum is that people just don't know about it. Um, my mom, who would be very politically informed, even, uh, God, was it two, two weeks ago, saw the ad on TV and was like, what's that all about? Like, people really don't seem to know about it. Like. Why is it not being talked about more? Why is it not being published more? Do people just not care? I think it's more that it's not an issue that has actually affected anyone. Yeah, like, We can't ever s- relate to anyone who's been prosecuted under the blasphemy um, legislation. So it's not something that people are actually tuned into. So why would they care about it yeah, that's yeah, true, if it's not something
2: we can relate to? the presidential election going on and everything you know it's kind of fallen under the radar a bit maybe
3: but not talking about it though it means that no one has any information on what the law actually is so
2: exactly
1: like um it only came in in 2009
3: yeah so the current it's there has been laws on blasphemy or on hate speech yeah since the early seventeen eighteen hundreds, but the current legislation came in in the defamation act of 2009 and under that act it while it's an offence while it's seen as a criminal offence to publish blasphemous content there is also kind of second part to it where you will only be prosecuted if a substantial number of people are outraged by the content and if you intended to outrage them. So if you can prove that it wasn't your intent to outrage people, if you can prove that you were making a artistic or poetic statement, or if you can just prove that people really don't care about what you said, then again, there will be no conviction. And we saw this in Stephen Fry's interview with Gay Byrne on the meaning of life. They did try to prosecute him for his hate speech, but it amounted to that nobody in the country cared about what he said.
1: Yeah. I wonder as well, like, uh, that kind of brings up the question, like, should it be taken out then? Like, I don't know. I think the general consensus is kind of, you know, it should be, but then if we're looking at it from a different perspective, if if you can only be convicted, if you genuinely are causing hate to someone,
2: should it stay in? Why not leave it in, yeah
3: most people that are saying that we need to take it out
2: don't understand they don't understand it. it
3: and when you ask them they can't back up their point they just simply don't have the information and i understand that we want to be multicultural and we want to embrace all religions and all cultures and be fair to everybody and people think that they're being fair to everyone by taking it out they're thinking that they're removing the restrictions but really it is only just a minute protection there yeah
1: and people think as well that this blasphemy law literally means that if I say like oh Jesus I can be arrested which obviously um if you've just said is not true because you have to it has to be proven that you were like did it on purpose and you were showing hateful connotations behind and all that kind of stuff um but as the priest was saying earlier who you interviewed I mean he was obviously against taking it out yes and I think he had a very very good point which was until we find something to replace it that makes more sense we should keep it there and although I'm, I'm not saying if I'm for taking it out or not for taking it out and um, I think he has a point because people are voting on something that they just don't understand that's kind of the general consensus Uh, one huge
3: point that was made um, in a government debate earlier in the week was by Senator Ronan Mullen and he said that the referendum could cost the taxpayer between three and four million now they have rushed this referendum through the doll. we we've had a couple of months on it very little publication on it very little conversation and we're going to charge the taxpayer three or four million to vote on something they have no knowledge about and you really have to question, what is the motives behind it?
1: That's as well, I actually saw that now on uh, online when I was reading some tweets about this, was anyone who was saying no was because they said it was going to cost so much money and it was such a silly thing to take out when it doesn't affect anyone. I mean, no one no one has been convicted. But then again, the other side that I saw on Twitter was it's it's not about the conviction, it's about not having something, in their words, outdated in the Irish constitution. I think uh, since we've got like, same-sex marriage true, we've got the abortion true, people just really want Ireland to represent the Ireland that it is today and not represent an Ireland that used to be
3: yeah like definitely a separation of church and state it's extremely important um charlie flanagan um said that removing the offensive blasphemy from the constitution will confirm ireland's status as a modern democratic society where free speech is valued and multiculturalism is embraced and ireland has been a front runner in so much of this we were the first european country to pass gay sex marriage same sex marriage (laughs) um but I don't know if this is a step forward I, I don't think we're adding anything to it I don't think that if we take this out we're suddenly going to have people publishing all of this blasphemous content no, as I said earlier no, there's still there an act in place
1: in place though like the defamation act you're not going to be able to publish information that kind of hurts or injures someone and this may be based on religious um, on religion so that I just don't think it will be a problem in no. the future even if the blasphemy law is gone well like i mean hate speech still is not a better help. ireland no. is definitely not one where someone's religion can be exactly. published in hatred that would be going backwards yeah, yeah which anything, i don't yeah. so that i don't think that's going to happen no. either if
3: it's not going to happen anyway though why are we going to pay three or four million for it to still not happen
1: well according to a poll here by um, the journal.ie they did it uh, earlier today 67% of the people that voted in the poll all said that they want to remove blasphemy as a criminal offence. So I think it is definitely reflective of something that Irish people want, probably purely because it is just an outdated piece of, yeah. of law. Well, I I actually wanted to bring that up there, but I forgot it now until you talked about that poll. I actually voted on that poll, yeah, I was me too. But I said no because really? I didn't no because I didn't understand the question. Oh, I okay. I, cap- I think they worded it very weirdly. Can you read out the way they worded um, it? Will you vote to remove blasphemy as a criminal offence? Oh, okay, <laughs> <what> <laughs> I don't know what Maybe way. you just read it wrong. I don't know what way I read it, but I said no, but I meant I meant to say yeah. Whatever yeah, way okay. it was worded. okay then that's well, not worded that um, badly. Twenty four percent. Percent of people said that they won't be voting to remove um they'll vote no and um, to removing blasphemy as a criminal offense and then eight percent said that they didn't know so i even though only eight percent said that they don't know there i think a lot more people don't understand what yeah, there's a lot of people
3: means. that think they know yes. and they just don't yeah, i think and that's that's the yes, fault so of the government definitely
1: exactly, exactly, yeah. there's been nothing on it there's been that little ad on tv Mm-hmm. and that's it that's literally and it. i do
3: think it is a move on their part just to seem progressive it's been rushed through so quickly it's been overshadowed by the presidential election so it's just been kind of rushed through as something that we can market ourselves on afterwards as opposed to something that our society really understands it's yeah
1: like, that we actually care about yeah like, you can see that people actually cared about the abortion referendum people yes. were going around canvassing you know showing each side and we just haven't had that with uh this because it's just not something that's in the attention but I think as well the reason they've rushed it through um is because they wanted it on the same day as the presidential election they didn't want to pay which is which is good Mm -hmm. I suppose they didn't want to pay so much money to have it on a different day so I think that's why they just rushed it all through but that then it did just make it it kind of made it as something as in like oh this needs to get done let's put this in with the presidential um, election let's just you know our constitution is too
3: important for that to become a pattern for it to be just a marked employer just an aside if we're going to change something in the constitution it affects all of us and affects us for a really long time
2: we need to take the time to actually properly cover it and let people know what is involved and what it's about before they make this Mm -hmm. decision that's going to change the constitution
1: yeah well Um, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Um, If anyone wants more information on the Blasphemy Referendum, which I really recommend before you vote on Friday, um, just go on to referendum.ie. Thank
2: you all for tuning in to Newswire today.
1: We go live again tomorrow at 6pm. We will be reporting on the rise of party drugs among students, the Save Our Shepherd campaign, and we will be giving you the lowdown on our final two presidential candidates, Peter Casey and Sean Gallagher, before the election on Friday. Thanks for listening. I'm with
3: Efo O'Brien.
1: I'm Dara Brown. I'm Kira O'Loughlin, And I'm Anya O'Boyle. Catch you all next week. Hi everyone and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira O'Loughlin. I'm joined today by Alison Condon and Anya Zowers.
9: On today's show we will be reporting on the Save Our Shepherd campaign and the rise of party drug use amongst students. We will also be giving a rundown on our final two presidential candidates, Peter Casey and Sean Gallagher. Finally we will have a panel discussion on students and drugs but first we have our hourly news bulletin.
1: Two potential explosive devices were sent to the homes of Hillary Clinton and former President Barack Obama earlier on today. One package was sent to the New York home of Bill and Hillary Clinton and the other was sent to Obama's Washington residence. The official says investigators believe the explosive is linked to one found yesterday at the compound of billionaire George Soros. Police in Newcastle, New York say they assisted the FBI, Secret Service and Westchester County authorities in the investigation of a suspicious package. Tao Leo Varadkar said it will be difficult to find alternative classroom accommodation for students affected by the closure of schools with fire safety and structural defects. He also confirmed that approximately 40 schools will be inspected amid concerns about structural issues at a number of facilities. Two schools and a building at at a third, all in Dublin, have been closed so far this week following inspections by the Department of Education. Only one ticket matches all six numbers in the Mega Millions lottery draw in the United States for a jackpot worth an eye-watering €1.6 billion. The ticket that was sold in South Carolina matched the five numbers 5, 28, 62, 65 and 70. The Mega Ball was five and they were drawn last night according to a Mega Millions spokeswoman. The buyer of the ticket beat the odds of 1 in 303 million to win the Mega Millions drawing for the largest jackpot in US history. Removing the crime of blasphemy from Irish law would support freedom of expression. Human rights groups have warned that retaining the reference to blasphemy in the Constitution would send out a very negative message internationally. Amnesty International and the Irish Council for Civil Liberties this morning issued a joint call for a yes vote in the Blasphemy referendum on Friday. And finally, Jimmy Carr is bringing a brand new show to the Olympia Theatre on the 4th of December 2020. Terribly Funny will contain jokes about all kinds of terrible things. That is all the news for now. Remember you can keep up to date on Facebook and on Twitter at DCUFM News. In 2016, DCU officially became the first Irish University of Sanctuary, offering 15 academic scholarships to refugees and asylum seekers. Shepard Micaiah is a second-year recipient of this scholarship. He's studying management and, of information technology and information systems. Officially from Zimbabwe, he was tortured by political groups there for refusing to join them. Having fled the country, he has been living in Ireland for nine years now. Shepard was recently issued a deportation order originally for Sunday the 21st of October. Since the news broke, there has been a petition circulating with over 13,000 signatures now and a demonstration outside the Department of Justice on Friday the 19th of October. DCU Student Union President Vito Maloney-Burke accompanied Shepard on Byrne live on Monday night where they made a plea to Minister Charlie Flanagan to revoke the deportation order. However, Flanagan has yet to issue a response. Earlier today, Shepard Micaiah and Vita Maloney-Burke met a solicitor who has successfully postponed Shepard's deportation order until February. However, his unconditional safety is still far from guaranteed. Here's a short clip from last Friday outside the Department of Justice where DCU's protests took place.
2: We're getting ready to go protesting in town um, as a demonstration to save our shepherd. Shepherd is a second year engineering student who's in DCU on the um, sanctuary program um, which is a scholarship to refugees and he was issued with um, a deportation order at the start of this academic year um, and it's for Sunday so today is our last day to get our point across that we want to keep him here and that we think it's unjust
4: Only in September
0: he received the news that our government believe that he should be forced back to where he was tortured, to where his life is in danger. Everything he's done to develop himself as a person and develop those around him is in danger of being taken away. We are demanding that Minister Flanagan revokes the order. We need to save our shepherd keep him here in our society in his society thank you very much everyone for coming
12: thank you for the support thank you for signing the petitions and i hope the minister will um, see how much people want uh, me to be in the country and also how much you people are happy to have me in the country i really thank you for coming and i thank everyone not here, everyone who signed petitions around the country, in all schools, and some people that are not in schools. Thank you.
1: Newswire reporter Lion Allen spoke to DCU Student Union President Vito Maloney about Shepherds' deportation.
2: Okay, perfect. So, um, what is the Save Our Shepherd campaign all about?
0: Um, The Save Our Shepherd campaign is all about one of our students, um, a second year University of Sanctuary student, um, which is a scholarship scheme for refugees. Uh, Shepherd has excelled both academically and socially since he's come to DCU, uh, being loved by staff and students alike, uh, and also passing his first year with Flying Colours. He's contributed so much, um, which is why it's such a, a monumental shame that about a week and a half ago uh, he contacted us to let us know he had a deportation order um, giving him a deadline of Sunday just gone um, now Shepard could be deported any day and we just don't know when it is um, so our campaign is all about stopping that um, asking Mr. Minister Charlie Flanagan to revoke the order and because if Shepherd, Shepherd does have to return to where he came from in Zimbabwe he will be under threat He was subject to torture last time he was there and his best friend was murdered by the political regime that is still very much in power. So there's no reason to believe that the threat has in any way lifted.
7: And so how can
3: students of DCU get involved with the campaign?
0: Um, So there's a few really important ways students can get involved. Um, Firstly sign the petition, we need that to continue growing and we need them to continue sharing it as well. for us we're kind of working away behind the scenes with the technical aspects and, and contacting various legal representatives but for students they need to make the noise, they need to get the social media campaign really off the ground and keep the momentum going. There's a hashtag um, and for it's really, it speaks brought up in the doll today for example and when that gets brought up in the doll people need to be able to relay over to Twitter for example and see what this means to so many people, how concerned so many people are for one of our students um, there's a Facebook group where I post regular updates and regular ways that so people can help the campaign on a daily basis, be it emailing DDs, emailing media publications, um, anything like that. But really, it's about making as much noise as possible, sharing Shepherd's story as much as possible, so as many people hear about it. This is started off as a very local D.C.U. student issue, then it grew to D.C.U. staff, then it grew to universities all around the country, and now we need to push on to national issue. We need it to be, it has been in all the various publications and on TV and on the radio, but we need it to get even bigger. We need the country to wake up and and realise how much of a crisis this is.
1: And have you any last words for Minister Charlie Flanagan on the issue?
0: I would ask Minister Charlie Flanagan to look at this law. Any law that puts a a man's life in danger is far from a good law. Showing a man who has done his utmost to contribute to our society over the last nine years, undertaking various qualifications before he came to DCU, with the goal, the ultimate goal, of coming to DCU, coming in through his scholarship and doing his utmost to contribute and develop himself so that he can go out into our society and give back. That's all his goal has ever been. Look at that man and look at where you're sending him back to and tell me, in good faith, how you can possibly deport him from our country.
1: The use of psychoactive drugs in Ireland among the 15-24 to year age group is the highest in Ireland. MDMA has jumped significantly in recent years with a total of 4.4% of young Irish adults reporting to have used the drug in the last year, compared to a reported 2.6% in 2007. Sniff, Charlie, Blow, all also known as cocaine, have found a home in the back pocket of some Irish students on nights out. An expensive party drug that was once associated with the Celtic Tiger era has made a comeback amongst the middle class. In summer 2018, drug testing facilities were available at seven festivals in England. They were run by a non-profit organisation called The Loop. According to the organisation, 8,000 people had drugs tested anonymously. Those who had drugs tested were given results about purity levels, any contamination and drug safety advice from volunteers in the loop. Students for Sensible Drug Policy, also known as SSDP, is an international non-profit education organisation. I spoke to Declan Moore, Chairperson of the SSDP Society in DCU, about the rise of the drug amongst Irish students and what him and his society are trying to do to combat this issue.
6: So um, SSDP, we neither condone or condemn uh, drug use, but um, what we want people to do is be realistic about the fact that drugs are an integral aspect of society and that you know those who use them are people and they should be treated as such. and that worldwide at the moment there's uh, huge issues um, surrounding how society deals with drug users, uh, mostly, as a criminal issue we'd rather see it um, rightfully dealt with as a medical and mental health issue um, and we're all about harm reduction educating people peer education anything to make people safer and more educated about what they're doing
1: right and what kind of stuff do you do within the college like do you do little workshops or is it all about kind of just getting the word out and promoting it
6: it's kind of a combination um i mean uh, in previous years we've held talks we've had sort of uh, professionals from various areas of industry come in um whether that be from the legal prote- profession medical profession and um, we've had politicians in we've had writers in um we've had film screenings we are gonna try this year to do more workshops around harm reduction harm reduction methods um An awful lot of its campaigns, promotions um, of harm reduction materials we have available on campus. So that's that's our two main focus this this year: our uh, sort of awareness campaigns and uh, around our materials that we have available, and as well uh, trying to promote uh, decriminalisation in Ireland as well as a policy what
1: would you think about so in the uk there in the summer just gone there was like i think it was seven or eight festivals had um facilities like in the festival to have your drugs tested what would you think about that i'd
6: absolutely be in favor of that um i've worked at such facilities myself before Mm. uh we've worked with people who 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 run the loop over in the uk that that do these uh testing at the festivals um i think that a combination of distribution of reagent test kits, which would be the small single-use test kits that we have available here, but also a supervised testing um, facility where people can, on amnesty, bring substances, drop them off in a box, uh, label what they were sold as, and then um, a much more rigorous form of testing in a, in a cleaner lab facility would be done and then those results posted on social media so that people are aware if a certain colour or shape of, of pill is being sold at a festival, okay, everyone's yeah. aware of what the breakdown should be. Again, various batches.
1: And what, so you you were talking about the what are the actual drug tests that were used at say the festivals and that what people want to be brought in kind of more here in clubs and festivals, are they, do you do them yourself? Are they given to someone else? Like what, what exactly is the The kit.
6: Um, So the kit itself uh, wouldn't typically be done on behalf of the service user. Um, What we try to facilitate is distribution of these kits. The kits have uh, serious limitations, but they are better than nothing.
7: Right.
6: So uh, currently, there's there's sort of a grey area around the legal status of somebody approaching me, um, me distributing test kits and wanting me to test the drugs for them because I become in possession of the drugs within that context. The better solution would be to have both test kits that people can distribute themselves among their friends um, or come and buy for a small fee at the festival as well as a large tent where there would be a chemical testing center in it. And usually in cases where that exists, it's accompanied by some type of law enforcement presence who have given amnesty for people to come. There's a bin, they'll drop drugs in them, uh, no names, completely anonymous, and the police are supervising the chemists wow. who are testing the drugs on gas chromatography sort of methods. I'm not right. 100% on the science. <laughs> That's myself, okay, but it's don't much, worry. It's much more detailed <laughs> yeah. and much more yeah. reliable than the, the reagent test kits. Um, okay. so.
1: Because when I was reading about it, um, a lot of, like, what um, some TDs had, like, problems with it is they said they were worried that like say if these tests were available in nightclubs and they weren't accurate then that that would be another problem like someone would still get sick from it someone would still do that but you're saying that they're like if they're just being distributed not by the actual organization it won't be the legality won't be held on them
6: is well even, e- even being distributed by an actual uh, authorized organization should be okay provided you um make people aware um how to use them and that the use does not guarantee their safety taking drugs is still dangerous if you buy cocaine and you test it and it turns out it is cocaine cocaine is still a dangerous substance to take we're not for a second even if it is even if it's the the purest um variety that you could get um we still have to have disclaimers there that you know taking drugs is a is dangerous, the only way to be safe is to not take them, but people take them anyways. Here is a way to be safer.
1: Okay. Doing and would you worry at all that um, using these kits and, you know, I know you're not you promoting drug use at all, but do you think maybe people who don't do drugs would say, oh, well, if I can test them and know they're safe, maybe I will. Would that worry you at all?
6: Um, I mean, I, I haven't seen evidence to suggest that's the case. Um, In an awful lot of uh, investigations into other harm reduction methods, the addition of harm reduction doesn't tend to increase the amount of use. So, I mean, yes, if I did hear that the distribution of test kits suddenly spiked the number of people using uh, illicit drugs, that would be concerning, but I don't really have much reason to believe that would actually be the case. Okay,
1: Okay. thank you so much. Yeah, my last question just kind of is, um, like, do you think students kind of realise the seriousness of, you know, being in possessions of drugs? Like, do you think they realise that it is a criminal offence? Or do you think that a lot of students kind of see it as, you know, nearly a part of a student night out?
6: Well, I think that's the biggest hypocrisy of, of our entire attitude to drugs as a society, is that... It's not one-size-fits-all. The law applies to certain groups of people more than it applies to others. We, at a university level, have a privilege to an extent that were we caught in possession of drugs, on the broader scale, the the average penalties that we would get would be um, sort of less than what you would get if you were of sort of uh, working-class, uneducated background, um, living in poverty... uh, welfare benefit of any kind. Um, so, I mean, that that, that is uh, an issue that we're trying to address and to make people aware that y- you are still doing something that's illegal and here's how, yeah. how you should be able to protect yourself to an extent. But, you know, that's why we're trying to make more progressive drug policy so Definitely, that there yeah. is more equity yeah. within society around how we we, we enforce drugs. I'm not sure if you saw uh, Emmett Kerwin's film that came out over the summer there, Dublin Old School. No, Brilliant film. Um, Emmett spoke at a, a, a couple of Anna Liffey events over the summer, um, along with Philly McMahon, um, and about the decriminalisation in Ireland. And the film centres around two brothers. One brother is... Um, addicted to heroin and he's living on the streets of Dublin the other brother is sort of um, ageing millennial um, has you know uh, he's, he's, he's getting by he's going out clubbing every opportunity yeah. he gets he's DJing um, lots of ecstasy lots of cocaine that type of uh, drug use um, and he meets his brother and he's, he's wondering how did you end up like this, this how, how the hell could you get from my brother to this guy on the street yeah. and he basically it the, the comes down to a very powerful um, quote around where Emmett Kerwin's character yeah. uh, he's only a number of weeks away from the prince from, from falling into that and they are so close and people don't yeah, realise yeah I suppose
1: that's so true I'd always I mean I think we all we all do look at it like mm-hmm. definitely you know like the real cocaine middle class yep. people can still work while they're on it and stuff but
6: mm-hmm.
1: I mean yeah it is
6: it's people, just one bad weekend away really, yeah you know? exactly
1: like I mean I'm sure a lot of people who find themselves addicted addicted to heroin did that at one stage and mm-hmm. it's just they've just gone that unfortunately that one step too far And
6: um, um, I mean aside from the fact that uh, this year our campaign in the second semester is going to be all around decriminalisation in Ireland um, how you go about decriminalising the user um, we want to sort of have try a referendum um, coinciding with the sabbatical elections next semester um, so we're going to try to have a lot of awareness events, talks uh, okay. sort of open the dialogue So you want DC to stand
1: obviously, yeah. in, they yeah. want, you want it to be that drugs be decriminalised Yeah, so two,
6: two years ago we, we had a, a a very successful campaign around the college's stance on recreational cannabis use. So right. and that, that referendum passed and um, we are now able to mandate the SU to get involved in campaigning towards re- legal, uh, regulated, um, recreational cannabis use as well as medicinal. So I think with the positivity that positivity that brought us. Or two years on now. I think the next step is the question of decriminalising the, the user.
1: Do you have any idea what kind of, like, do you think that could be something that could, that could potentially pass in Ireland in a few years, or is it very kind of...
6: Um, I don't think it's a... I, I, personally, I would see decriminalisation coming before cannabis, um, even even at a, at a broader medicinal scale. Um, okay. I think that to, to a TD or to any... Um, elected officer, it's um, easy. Um, I think that it would it would be very it would have very positive outcomes to their definitely you know to their. Um,
1: well, I mean, surely that would make a huge difference to the prison system as a whole. It would take a lot of people out of prison who really should be in care.
6: Yeah, it would ta- it would it would hopefully ta- um, just reduce reduce the number of unnecessary arrests, unnecessary incarcerations. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's vital that we, we look at what Portugal did 15 years ago. Um,
9: was it that? I didn't realise it was that yeah, long ago. 15
6: years. It was, it was years. 2000, uh, oh. yeah. somewhere around that. Um, and what they did, it was not just the case that they were decriminalising for personal amounts. They reallocated those funds very carefully into uh, healthcare programmes and um, okay. various other sort of uh, health initiatives that we need to also... Look at if we were to decriminalise, because it, it, okay. it, it would be far too easy for us to say tomorrow morning everything's decriminalised. Uh, we wake up the following morning, yeah. suddenly there's all these other issues that have sprung up. Uh, addiction rates may not actually be affected at the at the rate that was promised, and then decriminalisation has gotten rid of again the following year. Yeah, Um it's like
1: everything needs to be brought in. Yeah,
6: and and, steps. yeah, and I mean yeah. Ireland is in such a progressive place right now. Um, in terms of our social democracy and everything we've achieved in the last yeah. three four years, that uh, I think it's it's the perfect time to start talking about this. Yeah, so, brilliant. Thanks so much, Daphne. No then. problem.
1: Time for a quick ad break. Afterwards, we have Sabrina Donahue and Shana Obertus giving us the lowdown on Newswire's final two presidential candidates, Peter Casey and Sean Gallagher. We will then be having our panel discussion on the rise of party drug use among students.
9: Newswire reporter Sabrine Donahue gives the rundown on presidential candidate Peter Casey. She spoke to Dr. Owen O'Malley, an associate professor in DCU's School of Law and Government, about Casey's presidential campaign.
7: As an entrepreneur and successful businessman, he appeared on the Irish version of Dragon's Den as a dragon and subsequently invested in the show. Presidential candidate Peter Casey sold his 1.7 million euro mansion in Atlanta, Georgia and stepped down as CEO of Clada Resources, a recruitment agency which has dealt with companies like Coca-Cola and the Ernest & Young, to show his rigour for the presidency. Having been an immigrant to the United States and Australia himself, part of Casey's original campaign focused on connecting the Irish abroad with the Irish at home proposing an open university programme which would allow Irish emigrants to continue their studies in Ireland, while the creation of a birthright programme would aim to connect Irish emigrants with their heritage. Writing for the Irish Independent in 2012, he requested voting rights for Irish emigrants. He claimed he himself was forced to leave Ireland to make a living. As a businessman, his second main focus supports the growth of Irish businesses by foreign direct investment and business communications by improving the internet service in rural Ireland. Casey pledges to reduce expenses in the Irish and to put the €27,000 presidential monthly paycheck towards projects that support local communities. Casey decided to stay in the presidential race after pressure from travelers' rights groups and fellow presidential candidates for his comments dismissing the Irish travelers as an ethnic minority, referring to the travelers' rejection of new housing because they request stables for their horses and the fact that they do not pay taxes. The candidate revealed a shower of emails and texts he received in support for being different to other presidential candidates. On October 17th, Casey tweeted, quote, We are an amazing melting pot of nationalities, and that's the beautiful thing about Ireland. I think it's wrong to pick out one ethnic group to say you're special, unquote. Casey claims to support every man, woman, and child in the country. With eyes on Casey's controversial comments, the candidate has shifted his business-oriented approach to one that addresses the social needs of the country although he has complained of, quote, socialist politicians focusing only on social housing and welfare, unquote. What about the squeezed middle, he asked. I'm now joined by Dr. Owen O'Malley, who's an associate professor at the School of Law and Government in D- Dublin City University. Um, Dr. O'Malley, when speaking of... I, I read um, uh, P- Peter Casey's recent... Um, a letter to the public for his campaign and he spoke of introducing faster internet in rural ireland um, and when he was referring to that he he said um he spoke of a quote horrific incident and um, in which he could not get to he could not get an ambulance fast enough in time for the person in need and i was wondering in your view is this a fair link to make for as a campaign strategy since we don't really need the internet to make an emergency phone call
12: Well, it's also the case that you don't really need a president to uh, get to get you uh, broadband. Uh, So, like with most of the uh, presidential election candidates, uh, they do end up talking about a lot of weird stuff, uh, things that don't really come under the remit of an Irish president. but I suppose they do need to talk about things that maybe are important to, to voters, and presumably rural broadband is one thing that is important to a lot of voters in rural areas. It's a kind of significant issue for, for many. Uh, whether I'm not sure quite how uh, broadband and getting an ambulance is, is relevant, but uh, you can see that a lot of the... the um, candidates are bringing in things that aren't really that relevant in a way but it just it, it gets them some attention
7: mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know as um, Casey was an entrepreneur and successful businessman um, he also wanted to improve um, the internet to, to uh, improve you know communications and businesses but um, it, do you think that he can cater to both the interests of businesses and the interests of the people? And um, for example, he's um, talking about inter- introducing um, a program to help first-time homebuyers. And um, you know, but he's also talking about the squeezed middle class who don't have enough income at the end of the month. So, uh, do you think he can? Yeah. <laughs> cater to both well, I suppose
12: that. one of the things Casey is trying to do is to argue that uh, Michael D Higgins is focusing a lot of his attention on what might be regarded as kind of liberal left-wing issues Uh, and so uh, Higgins kind of talks quite a lot about community and various other things and he might argue that if you can talk about that you can why don't not also talk about business I mean a lot of what presidents do is try to highlight in very vague ways things that people within the country are concerned about I mean, trying to help small business owners, though, it really does seem to be in the remit of government and not the presidency whereas at least, I mean, talking about supporting communities does seem to be more in the remit of that kind of woolly let's-hug-each-other ambit that the presidency does. Um, so again he's not... He's not talking about anything that he can actually affect but equally he could argue that neither is Michael D.
13: Mm-hmm.
7: And to continue on that he's also like as part of, of his campaign rejected the idea of like the ceremonial role of the presidency so he said like he wants to be more of an active president but as you said he only has and he said himself he's kind of contradicted himself by saying he, he doesn't have the power to do it, um, and on the other hand, you know, as a president, the, you should deal with people, um, and anybody for that matter, should deal with people with a certain amount of respect and politeness and dignity, but in relation to the travellers row, he's um, addressed Leo on on a very you know, di- diplomatic way by saying, you know, quote, like, shut your trap, and, you know, he's also um, braided Michael T Higgins um, by recently re- releasing a video, um, you know, without proof, saying, you know, the 10,000 dog rumours bill is going through, coming out of taxpayers' money, and I'm just wondering if you think all of these, like, if, if he's grasping at straws, and if if there will be the downfall of his
12: campaign? It's obvious he's kind of thinking off the the top of his head, uh, but he might, most of these things might actually do him a little bit of good, because we know from survey research that uh, travellers aren't a popular group within Irish society, and so most people actually don't really, I mean whatever political elites say, uh, many people in Ireland don't really like the travellers and don't certainly don't want them living near them, uh, so that might get him extra votes. Uh, but it's it's pretty obvious he's not cut out to be a president and never will be. I'm not quite sure why he ran for the presidency other than maybe because he saw two other guys doing it and thought he could do it as well. He, he's never going to trouble the presidency by actually having a chance of winning. Uh, he, he's not. It's unlikely he'll get even his election expenses back. But he might have picked up a couple of votes with his undiplomatic uh, talk. And that undiplomatic you know, talk, I mean, it, it probably got him a lot more attention than any of the other candidates have received in the last uh, couple of weeks.
1: Sean Obertus, a Newswire reporter, gives us a rundown on Sean Gallagher's background and what he plans to do if he is nominated as president. She also interviewed independent councillor Nolene Riley on her view of Gallagher's presidential campaign.
5: Former dragon dance star Sean Gallagher is no stranger when it comes to campaigning for the presidential election. As the 2018 campaign marks Gallagher's second time running as a candidate. Born in County Monaghan, Sean Gallagher was educated in St. Patrick's College, County Cavan, where he later attended Tashk Agricultural College receiving a national cert in Agriculture. Gallagher later went on to obtain a diploma in management from the Dudoc Institute of Education. Galler's earlier careers involved working with various Irish state bodies and departments, like the National Youth Council of Ireland and the Development of Health. Sean Galler's political career stems back to the 1980s when he became an active member of Fianna Fáil, staying with the party for 30 years. In the early days as a member of Ogre Fianna Fáil, he served on the party's wings National Youth Committee. Galler has a long political record of involvement and commitment to Fianna Fáil. However, for the 2018 election, he is running as an independent candidate. Known now as a successful businessman, thanks in large to his co-founding of Smart Homes in 2000, Mr Gallagher admitted that he is no stranger to unemployment, a topic he has addressed in both 2011 and 2018 campaigns, as he told the Irish Independent recently that he found himself out of work on three occasions since leaving school. Gallagher's 2018 campaign is much like his 2011s, putting a strong focus on Irish business and enterprise, spreading a message of hope for the revival of Ireland's fortune. On his home website, Gallagher clearly states his hopes and beliefs for the future of Ireland if he is to succeed the presidency. Gallagher wants to use his skills and experience to serve the people of Ireland at home with energy and represent them abroad with dignity. His ambition for Ireland is to become a country where every person will have an opportunity to reach their potential regardless of age, creed, colour, identity and ability. In a recent interview at News Talk, Mr Gallagher even stated how he will campaign for a united Ireland and he believes it's a possible achievement within his lifetime. I spoke to Independent Ballymun councillor Nolene Riley on her views of the unfolding election, what power the President really has and whether she believes Gallagher's statement on a United Ireland could be possible.
13: There's a few more debates to go and I'm just judging on the last presidential election, you know, a lot changed in those debates. that needs to be cancelled really in this country in terms of, I saw, the housing crisis is I suppose probably the biggest thing in the health service. But like the President doesn't have any role in in actually tackling any of those issues. Like and that's what seems to be, you know, a lot of candidates are running saying they're gonna do A, B, and C, but they actually won't have the powers to yeah. do A, B, and C. Um, so I, I think because this is against our constitution, And um, so I just you know, I, like I know people are looking for votes, and it's important that we know what candidate stands stand for on particular issues. But what they're going to be able to deliver is wildly off what they're claiming in this election. Look, you see, Sean Gallagher, and I know he's got probably he's got flags for this in a lot of debates, and that he went away for seven years. And you know, we had some very monumental referendums within this country over the last seven years, and were passed by huge majorities of people and um, social. I suppose the social um, environment has totally changed in Ireland in the last seven years and Sean Gallagher wasn't anywhere to be seen on that, whereas Michael D Higgins was. And a lot of those campaigns were driven by young people, the marriage equality one, and repeal the age, all, you know, swathes and swathes of young people just became so politicized. And I think, I suppose, if either of those two candidates, um, Michael D, would Probably has been one that would have been, I thought, you know, out to the fore on those issues. And, um, you know, there's a lot of young people, I thought, helping him out with his campaign. He, you know, quite the fact he is the oldest candidate. And um, so I think that in itself shows, um, I to how, how involved he was in those
5: issues. Sean stated in a recent interview with News Talk that he believes United Ireland will be possible in his lifetime. Do you agree with this?
13: remain in the EU, and you know, they're going to be forced to leave them, and we still don't know what kind of consequences that would have um, for the North and the island as a whole, and it will have consequences. Um, <coughs> I think people are certainly coming more and more around to the idea of a united Ireland, but I suppose there's a lot of work to be done in terms of the unionist community and convincing them that this is what's best for the island as a whole. Um, I think we're a long way off that. Throughout the 2018
5: presidential election, Mr Gallagher has been no stranger to controversy, as he faced countless questions on what contributions he has made to society since the previous election. In the last seven years, Mr Gallagher has reportedly made his contributions through working a mix of non-profit businesses, whilst also setting up another business of his own and pursuing a legal case against RTE. Gallagher stated he was inspiring the next generation of business leaders and creating new jobs by building a new business that was providing office and industrial workspace in lots of areas around the country where jobs were needed. Sean Gallagher spent the last few weeks campaigning with his team and wife Trish, touring around several different locations and universities in Ireland to further his bid for the presidential election. Lin McFinafal TD now Collins spoke to us on the controversy surrounding the election, whether he agrees with Gallagher's United Ireland ambitions, and the importance of students getting out and voting in the presidential election on Friday, October 26th.
14: The whole uh, unity question, and I think in the not too distant future, we will see um, a border poll. And uh, what that process triggers is something which we, we couldn't quite as see in our lifetime. So yes, I would agree with that. More than any of the candidates he's he's been doing he's been doing his own thing. I I, I think um I think there's actually been unfair um has been an unfair approach to questioning what has Sean Gallagher done for the last seven years. I know myself, I've been in it's about the independent, you know, every couple of weeks where he had a regular column in relation to small businesses, he's spoken himself in relation to it, so, you know he, he wasn't elected to any position for the last seven years so, uh, he didn't have an official or a public role, but, you know he's been doing his thing, and he's accounted for himself in that regard, so I, I don't have any issue with what he has done or indeed what he hasn't done in the last seven years no more than I have any issue with any interest in them. And um, you know, what did John Freeman do? She left the the House. That was her thing. And the same with Lady Rita. Um, came from nowhere to become an MEP for the Chinese party. Um, Michael Lee Higgins was, at, was president. Uh, Peter Casey and and Gavin uh, Duffy, you know, they were all doing their own thing. So like, you know, this, this kind of idea like what have you done for the last seven years doesn't resonate with me or any impact on me really as a voter. But I would say to students that first of all make sure you are registered and there's no point in uh, being a hurder at the ditch. You know, have your say, exercise your democratic rights as your your, your, your mandate that you're excited once you reach the voting age
5: and I would encourage everybody to vote. Voting stations for the 2018 presidential election will open from 7am to 10pm on Friday 26th of October. Counting of the ballots will begin the morning of Saturday, twenty seventh of October, with a winner declared at some point that afternoon. I'm Shauna Burtis
9: with DCU FM. And now it's time for our panel discussion. This week we will be talking about students and party drugs. Kira, you reported on the on this topic this week. Why does there seem to be a rise in the use of party drugs among students?
1: I don't really have the answer on why there's a rise in the use of party drugs among students, but there definitely is is a rise as I said earlier and um, 2017 it was 4.4 and two years before that it was half of that for the use of MDMA so I mean I don't know why the rise is but there definitely is is one I suppose a bigger question to ask would be like how can we how can we make this better like how can we how can we help this situation because it is a situation that's not get, getting rectified so um, earlier on I talked to Declan Moore who is the chairperson of SSCP which is the Students for Sensible Drug Policy and um, he talked about the drug testing kits they brought into the UK, into the festivals there. Um, I, I kind of, he, he kind of swayed me a little bit but before that, uh, from research I had done, bef- sorry, before I did any research on it I thought it was a great idea. Upon doing research on it, What worried me was how accurate the tests would actually be but he was saying that no the tests are better than no tests um the hse actually recently released a statement about testing drugs yourself Uh, obviously they don't recommend taking drugs either but they Mm -hmm. i was looking on their website and they actually have a few steps obviously they have a they have a separate thing for you know if you're going to a festival um just some tips like stay with your friends. If any of your friends are intoxicated, stay okay. with them. But they also had advice um on testing the drugs yourself. For example, it starts off with if you're testing a new batch that you're not sure about, begin with a quarter of a pill and then wait two hours because you don't know what it could be mixed in with mm-hmm. okay. or anything like that and then after, make sure you know the source of the drugs as well because yeah. you don't know where they're coming from but yeah they have a list of all of the different things and this was the HSE wasn't it yeah they I'm surprised. That, it's on yeah. their, their website I'm surprised by that yeah, yeah, yeah. because you know District 8
13: um, and yeah. the nightclub yeah.
1: put up a sign in their nightclub there last week oh I saw this yeah, yeah they went around Twitter and it was saying um, just basically the same as that guidelines on what to mm-hmm. do like you know if you do if you do feel sick um, you know contact a member of staff and all this yeah. and there was There's people for and against it, you know, a lot of people were like, this is brilliant, you know, no other nightclub in Dublin has done this. Mm -hmm. And then there was people on the opposite side being like, you shouldn't be promoting drugs. And then there was a third group of people (laughs) who said that it was all a scam to (laughs) get, yeah. What? Yeah, they thought it was was a scam uh, to, like, get down on people who are doing drugs and dissipate. But that would make no sense because Mm -mm. they're they're telling, on the piece of paper, they're telling people to go to staff when they're feeling sick they're not yeah the whole thing is do like, don't be afraid to yeah they're someone. not telling yeah. them to go up like with a bag in their hand yeah like, <laughs> exactly do you want to take her yeah take? you know like that that's yeah. not what they're doing but yeah I suppose just like even I was speaking about this to Declan like I think it, it is very scary and mm-hmm. um, definitely the rise and personally I, I don't I don't think that the figure is actually 4.4 percent I think it's definitely higher um, people don't want to admit taking drugs so I suppose yeah. that's that's one of the issues yeah and um, but another thing that he discussed oh sorry we discussed <laughs> was um, how students don't kind of realize that it is a criminal offense what do you guys think do yeah. you think they do or they don't
9: I don't think they do I think nowadays drugs are becoming so normalized yeah definitely. nearly every second person Almost, you know, you know, is doing them, and they just don't realize it. As soon as you come to college, people that you meet, they're just taking drugs. It's really like
1: it's really like buying a drink when you're out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's become, actually it's, yeah. it's exactly. I don't
9: actually think they realize what they're doing and that it is actually illegal. Um, yeah, which is a scary thought.
1: I think it is really bad amongst students as well because, I mean, when I was in school, like it was unheard of. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. drugs were unheard of. Obviously there was a lot of marijuana and stuff like that but then I think it's stu- like well I, I don't know but even from speaking to my friends who didn't go to college or mm-hmm. in the workforce it wouldn't still wouldn't be as big a thing yeah and it makes no sense that people who are in third level education who a lot of people would think have a lot of intelligence yeah. <laughs> who are the ones taking them
9: And yeah know.
1: I think it's like you know when you come to college and you're li- you're living in the college experience like yeah. maybe you're on yeah. campus or you're nearby and it's like your own little society it's like you've yeah. got your own set of rules yeah and like a whole other world it's like a little bubble that you live in definitely mm-hmm. yeah i think a lot of um people i don't want to say the country that's offending people who don't live <laughs> <laughs> who don't live in dublin and live here yeah might lose the run of themselves a little bit because yeah. you know they haven't it's all so new for before. them it's all, it's all so new and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's where the jokes come in maybe people just really want to or students just really want to I don't know rebel as much as they can yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah the drug testing kits I don't know how they'd work I
9: I feel I like wrong? it's very split it's very half and half yeah definitely Um. like maybe in a way like it could save lives people knowing how to take them safely yeah, but then definitely. again I can see where other people are coming from saying that it's promoting drug use as well so it is yeah. it's a bit of a tricky one
1: I asked Declan that I said like, would it worry you that, like, if you administer these drug testing kits that people who otherwise wouldn't do drugs would know, and um he said, no, you know the, the statistics don't show that, which is good, mm-hmm. but I mean, in my mind the the reason why a lot of people don't do drugs is because they're scared, yeah. you know, and I- if this is available, would that persuade them to do it? I don't yeah. know, I don't know. From per- personally I don't think anything like that would persuade me. I think yeah. the yeah. the availability of drug testing kits, um, from my own perspective would I not that I would, you know, need them, but it would yeah. certainly make me feel a little bit safer mm-hmm. knowing yeah. that they were there. Yeah. Just in case. I mean it might make people as well um not be paranoid when they're taking them. I know a lot of people who take stuff can then nearly get themselves sick because they're worrying about it mm. and mm. Stuff like that, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, drugs are dangerous no matter what. And even yeah. if there is a drug testing kit, as as Declan said, you know, if if you take cocaine, and it's one hundred percent the purest form in the world. Yeah, you can you can still die from it. Yeah, exactly. You can yeah. still overdose from yeah. the actual drug itself, not just because there's impurities in it. Yeah. And I think what's worse than normalising drugs is having taken them and being afraid to go to somebody mm. about it, yeah, being definitely. afraid to go to
2: a member of staff or a medical mm-hmm. team. So.
1: Well, I definitely don't see the problem in, I don't. Thi- I definitely don't think it's promoting it by just having the guidelines, as the HSE said, no. having the posters up that uh, District 8 said and stuff, because, you know, it, it is a reality now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and o- oh, actually, another thing I thought was very interesting was... Um, This whole kind of thing about cocaine coming back, because apparently, like you know, it was a big thing in um, the Celtic Tiger era, Mm. and now now it is coming back. And I've even noticed it myself. Like I used to think, you know, cocaine was the next step to heroin. Like I really, Mm. really thought it was this really hard, dangerous drug. Not saying that it isn't, but it became so normal for a lot of students. It really has. It's like the next step up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah yeah and I don't uh, where where are they getting the money from I know (laughs) that's the big question especially as
9: students where are people like why would they spend money on things like this
1: you can get a nagging for a tenner (laughs) (laughs) not even eight euro I don't know yeah eight ten with your mixer maybe (laughs) (laughs) and I suppose the final kind of question is which we are going to touch um touch on later on um in Newswire, but if we we can just touch on it like for a little bit. Um is the decriminalisation of drugs in Ireland. I don't know, did any of you see Philly McMahon's documentary on Sunday night on RT? Mm. No, it I
9: didn't was so.
1: so Philly McMahon is a Dublin footballer and mm-hmm. he wrote a book, I can't remember the name of it, but he wrote a book, it was very good, um, about his he's from volume He 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 went to D C as well mm. um and his brother died from a heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. So he did this documentary there and it aired on Sunday night about decriminalising drugs, drugs in Ireland. Yeah, and um, so I don't know, like, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, I got a statistic from the Independent that Ireland has the fourth highest level of drug overdoses in the EU. Oh
9: wow, yeah. the fourth highest. That's fourth highest. Very high.
1: So, I just think again, if you had the availability to mm. make sure that you were doing whatever you're doing in a safe. Healthy as healthy as you can be yeah. manner, then I, d- I don't know. I think maybe the decriminalisation of certain drugs might be yeah worth it. Well, I I, d- I definitely agree with what Portugal do. Like Portugal has um, they all drugs are decriminalised there, and you know, it's not as if you're allowed <coughs> excuse me, um, it's not as if you're allowed to take drugs. You know, yeah. it's just you're treated as a patient rather than a criminal. So you know if the police or whoever catches you on the street having overdosed mm-hmm. or with drugs on you, even if it's a small amount, you'll be put through a program or put into care or whatever instead of being seen that, yeah. as, as a criminal. Which, that is, yeah. you know, makes That's a lot good way sense. to go
9: about it, I think.
1: Yeah, well, um, I think that's all we have time for now um, in our panel discussion. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to Newswear today. Um, we go live again next Tuesday at 6 pm, so be sure to tune in then.
9: Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anya Zowers. I'm Alison Condon.
1: And I'm Kira Lachlan. Remember, you can always keep up to date with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at DCUFM News.